We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're gonna have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning. This is Dave Debo. Today on the program, we're looking at businesses along Jefferson. And uh, quite frankly, I think we're going to do a little bit of myth busting, maybe. The discussion often has been there's no business along Jefferson. Now, think about that. That obviously is not necessarily the reality. That's uh, not to say that it isn't difficult. That's not to say there aren't obstacles. But things are possible. I want to bring in Herb Bellamy, Jr., Herb is the son of a serial entrepreneur. You've probably seen all the businesses that used to be along Jefferson that had the Bellamy name on it. His dad was a member of the city council and uh, operated many of those businesses in the past. Herb continues that legacy. He's the founder of the Buffalo Black Achievers Museum. He's got a career training center there, two uh, different housing projects along Jefferson, works with disabled housing, works with retail space. A guy that can really talk about, again, this myth perhaps, that there is no business along Jefferson. Herb, thanks for coming by. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for letting me uh, come on your radio today. Tell me if that's a, a proper premise. Is there really no business along Jefferson? Oh, yes. And there, I know I'm exaggerating I mean, for there, the sake of discussion. There's, there's business on Jefferson, but I, I think what happens is um, sometimes we look too far in the past where they, we say it's not like what it used to be. Mm. Things are never going to be like what they used to be. But we can have a brand new ending and a brand new beginning. And there are a lot of people who've invested on Jefferson Avenue and, and myself included sure. to to continue to make the changes that necessary. Now, is Jefferson and that area on the east side of Buffalo uh, still needed of many resources? Absolutely. It's a tremendous amount of resources that need to come to that community. And now that the cloth has been uh, unveiled, we should, you know, hopefully more people are looking to seeing what they can do to assist us to continue to grow on Jefferson Avenue. Give me a little bit of your background. What do you run along Jefferson? Well, I run the Black Achievers Museum, and uh, which uh, we've been honoring Black Americans for fifty years. Fifty mm. years is our celebration this year. Wow! So we have a museum uh, showing all the uh, achievers over the last fifty years. We also have uh, two apartment buildings, which is called Bellamy Commons, where the Black Achievers Museum is is housed in, and also we have fourteen ninety Estates, which we have elderly and senior housing. Is there retail along the way? Um, for me, I, you know, we grew up, I grew up in retail. I mean, right. we, we had a grocery store. We had a fish market. We had a liquor store. We, uh, I've always been in retail. Right now, I'm not in retail. Okay. 
But, uh, you know, I'm more on the development and consultant side to continue to bring the resources because it is a difficult process. And when you're trying to bring people together, when you're looking at financing and, and, and tax credits and things of that nature. So I've been able to work with other companies like uh, People Inc. I work with that project as we built the 84 apartments um, up near the, uh, the stadium yeah, we as a consultant. We should have mentioned Herb is also a um, insurance broker and a certified financial planner. No, I, I was. I you was. were. Yeah, I was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, that, that was a long. That was a while ago. I've probably been out the insurance and financial planning business. Uh, that was, uh, oof, probably about twenty years now. Oh man. Yeah, okay. I, had a, I have a building uh, on East Ferry, not too far, and that's where my office was. But I think the background is perhaps relevant because you would have a good look at what difficulties, what hurdles are there yes. in order to operate a business. Talk about that. And and whether it comes from the experience of, again, you and your dad and the grocery store, the liquor store, that sort of thing, or if I just came to you and said, Herb, you're a consultant, help me get X, Y, or Z off the ground. I, what what kind of hurdles are there? Well, I, I think we, we have to look, uh, how did we get here? You know, the Industrial Revolution. We, 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 we were a steel-making company. And... Uh, and so many of the homeowners in, in that area worked at the steel plants, mm. and then they retired. So you have a whole a lot of people who have no jobs and, and no housing and no uh, generational wealth. Um, what's happened in Buffalo didn't happen overnight. You know, this happened a long time ago, and it's just manifested itself. The, the downfall of Bethlehem Steel, though, was something that didn't necessarily impla- uh, impact people of color. Yes, it did. As, as much as um, some of the other things, I think. It, um, it absolutely did. Because okay, you, you tell had, me more. Well, you That's had why so, I'm raising it. You, you had so many uh, companies. You can leave Bethlehem Steel and go to Republic Steel. You can go to other companies. And those was uh, skilled labor jobs. That So you take jobs away from people. You take homes. You take families. You takes a lot. It, it takes a lot. I remember my father used to quote all the time. He said, if you give a person a job, you solve 90% of their problem. So I've watched where the neighborhoods declined because they, were, they, they, they no longer had jobs. The loss of Bethlehem was something that I think hit the region. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, though, if there are particular racist issues along Jefferson and the east side that also keep people of color from getting jobs. Well, you you have to ask. Uh, you know, there there there's always been um, racism. Racism already always existed, and, and it's just a matter of how you handle it at this stage in in my life. Okay, you know, it's it's always existed. It existed when I was a child when they bust me from the east side to to North Buffalo. You know, and and they try to incorporate a system that just didn't work. And they, it happened when I was a child when they took away the 33. I, I used to ride my bike on the 33 before it got started. It was a beautiful parkway. On Humboldt, yeah. On Humboldt. I grew up on Humboldt Parkway. Okay. So I watched it all. Mm. I, you know, Jefferson was around the corner from me. Let, let me ask you, do you want to see it uh, paved over again? And, and No, no, I don't want to see it paved over. Tell me why. It, it makes no sense now. Unless you unless you incorporate other things. So, you know, one contractor, a couple contractors will get a lot of money to pave the... <laughs> Pave yeah. the uh, pave it over, and then it's you know what, what do you have? You know we have to have strategic plans. 
don't give me a Band-Aid. And you can't Band-Aid something when you've already cost a lot of people generational wealth. What are you going to do for that? You know, it's it's a lot more uh, until we get into the heart and, and really do strategic planning on how you're going to really build a neighborhood. Make it a national disaster and, and, and really create something that's, that's more. You know, get Fortune 500 companies to come in there. You know, out, out of all the help, and we needed that help after the top shooting, all the help I saw, I didn't see one company say, we're going to go hire some black people. Yeah, okay. Uh, does the area then also need more than the $58 million that Governor Kathy Hochul has started to talk about? Well, we're, we are very fortunate to have Kathy Hochul as our governor and the $58 million. I haven't studied enough to know what that $50 million encompasses mm-hmm. and what it's actually going to do, so I can't intelligently speak upon that because I don't know what it is. Maybe it will. Yeah, and, and I, to be fair— Mm-hmm. I don't think she has completely revealed the details of that yet. Yeah, I, I don't so know. So we just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I couldn't answer a question like that. Now, is she a friend to our community? She's been to the Black Achievers. She's cut the ribbon. She was there 20, 30 years ago. So she knows the neighborhood. Kathy can walk on Jefferson and come to 1490 Jefferson and Black Achievers and, and be totally at home. So we, we're, we're, we're blessed to have her. Let's talk a little bit about the Black Achievers, the museum and, I guess, the the honors and the movement, all of the stuff that you've pulled together now for 50 years. Yes. Uh, every year you have a class of inductees, almost like a Hall of Fame? Yes, yes, we do. Yes. Okay. How are they picked? And, and if, if you can tell me a little bit about who the typical honoree is. Oh, uh, well, well, they're... they're um... They're selected by their company. We solicit the companies and say we we have an event uh, honoring African Americans or Black Americans throughout Western New York. Do you have a particular person of, at your company that mm. you would like to honor at our event? And uh, it's been very successful over the years. And let me give you a little history on how it started. Yeah. My father was given a testimonial dinner uh, back in 1971, I believe it was. And he was so elated about people honoring what he, what, what he was doing, he thought other people need to be honored and recognized so they can elevate them as well. So therefore, he started it back in 1972, and that was the birth of the Black Achievers. And uh, we're even honored this year to have one who was honored in 1972 going to be at our 50th anniversary. Oh, wow. His name is James Tools, and Ford uh, 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 was his sponsor at the time. So this is what we do. We, we try to elevate our community and the majority community to see all the talents and skills and, and wonderful things black Americans are doing that you would never even know about. And I'm still amazed every year because I don't know them all either. But we don't have this avenue to get that information out, you know. So I'm hopeful that with the black achievers, as we continue to do what we do, can be shown to more people to know that African Americans and black Americans can do more than what they think they can do. And, and I think that is us being able to showcase their, their talents. Is it a matter of honoring those who achieve, or is it kind of holding them up and saying to the rest of the community, to the younger generation, these are role models? It's both. Okay. It's both. It's absolutely both. Because many of our achievers, they accelerate to higher positions because after they receive the award, you know, other peers and other people in their company say, oh, I didn't know you did all of that. Maybe you should be up here instead. 
And uh, as I've gotten older, one of the things I'm hopeful of black achievers is companies would come and say, hey, we know you have all these achievers over the years. Can we put them on our board? Can we put them on our board? And that way we can make decisive and, and more influence and decision making on many companies that's uh, in Western New York. And the museum is actually a space where these people are honored? No, the museum is a space where we um, showcase all the bios and pictures over the years. We have a historical room of my father, who was the founder, showing some of his pictures and awards. We have touch screens where you can pull up their their person's achiever's name, and we have a multi-purpose room where we uh, host uh, events, and our youth academy is there as well, and where we um, work with our youth as well to, to inspire them to be achievers as well, because we give out scholarships every year. And particularly this year, we're going to give out scholarships to every city high school in Buffalo to at least one black American in their school. And it is at 1490 Jefferson? Pardon me? The museum itself. Yeah, it's the, the museum itself is at 1490 Jefferson, Buffalo, New York. Actually, it's 1490 Jefferson, Herbert L. Bellamy Way. All right. Herbert L. Bellamy, which we named the street after my father, Tony Massiello, who was the mayor then, uh, named the street between Jefferson and Delavan, Herbert L. Bellamy Way. So that's where our museum is located. We'll probably be doing another grand opening. We had some challenges during the pandemic, and, and now we've, we had to uh, pivot so many times over the last couple of years between the uh, pandemic and between the top shooting. We, we had to do other things to, to keep you know, the community uplifted and keep it going. I don't want to create a false narrative. And in fact, at the beginning, I said we're going to bust some myths here. Mm -hmm. But talk about the difficulties maybe you've had putting something in that 1490 building, or even going back to the history of your dad, a grocery store, liquor store. How hard is it to maintain a business on the east side? Is it tougher than the guy on Hurdle or Elmwood might might have? I, I believe it's tougher because we don't have a strong neighborhood base. We don't have a strong homeowner base that's required to keep businesses as a flow. Now, we, we need more than, we have a lot of businesses that continue to come, but I think still the neighborhoods need more housing and, and job opportunities. You know, but I've had a business close to over 50, almost 50 years. I succeeded well. I mean, you, you, you have to reach the neighborhood, reach out to the people. The people don't always not concentrate in one area. They come from all over, and they support black businesses, and they support other businesses. But um, the difficulty in business is with any business. You're, 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 you have your challenges with money, of course, and, and money is always having the right, the proper capital to, to keep the businesses going. And, and, and sometimes uh, when you're looking at market studies and demographic studies, it's more difficult to access to the capital that's what's needed to uh, really have the business, business generating the way you would like it to. I want to pick up on what you said about home ownership. Um, Henry Lewis Taylor at UB has done some studies, and I, I, I hesitate to mention the number because I'm not sure if I'm quoting the exact number properly. Mm -hmm. But he said at least 60% of the housing on the east side is rental rather than home ownership. If you've got a liquor store, a grocery store, whatever, does that make a difference in terms of your customer base? Absolutely. Tell me how. Transitional people. 
when you're renting, you're, you, you, you're, you're transitional. So you may be there two years, three years, whatever. You're a homeowner. You're taking more pride in your home. You're, you're, you're building equity in your home. It's more stability. Uh, I, I believe it makes a difference. But, but isn't a person a person? If, if I am a renter mm-hmm. and I need a grocery store and a barber shop today mm-hmm. and I leave and get another apartment someplace else and someone else comes into that apartment, they too would need a grocery store and a barber shop. Your population per se is still there, isn't it? Not necessarily because right, because sometimes the population is not coming back. Ah, yeah, vacancies. Vacancies, vacant lands. I knew so many homeowners and so many people where the house is no longer there. Mm. And and then you have the vacancies. So it's 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 and some of the houses are just deplorable. So uh, I, I really think that, that the home ownership would be really key to, to really building up that neighborhood. And if you can't, find another way to do it. You know, as entrepreneurs, you find another way. You know, if one thing ain't working, when I was in business, I had the liquor store, one thing ain't working, you can't sell them what mm. they want, sell them what they need. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. And uh, you, you mentioned earlier, too, that at one point your dad, and to some degree you, had a grocery store. Yes. When, when we come back, I definitely want to talk about that because obviously the idea of food desert, some people call it food apartheid on the east side, mm-hmm. has certainly been an issue. Yes. And if we're talking about myth busting, I think the idea that there can't be, there, there's only tops, there can't be grocery on the east side. Let's get into that when we come back. Okay. Herb Bellamy Jr. is here from 1490 Enterprises. We're talking about business on the east side around Jefferson Avenue, of course, near the top shooting. And uh, we'll be back to dig into it a little bit more. We'll also touch more on the Black Achievers. Much more to come. Stay with us. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. A pride of lions battles for survival in Kenya's Masai Mara Reserve. Watch Lion, the rise and fall of the marsh pride. Tonight at 8 on WNED PBS. Support for WBFO comes from our members. And from Metropolitan Entertainment. Presenting comedian Bill Maher. Coming to Buffalo Sunday evening, October 9th at Kleinhans Music Hall. Bill Maher, the noted political satirist, has his finger on the pulse of American politics, current events, and many dissectable topics. Tickets are available at kleinhandsbuffalo.com or by phone at 716-885-5000. Produced by Metropolitan Entertainment. Get all the trusted local news you need right to your inbox each weekday morning with the WBFO daily email. Visit wbfo.org to sign up today. Support for WBFO, your NPR station, comes from our members and from Buffalo Commons Charter School. Now enrolling K and first grade students for the 2022-23 school year. Buffalo Commons Charter School is a place where kids can engage with a rigorous project-based curriculum, develop strong relationships with diverse classmates, and discover a sense of purpose. Details and information at buffalocommonscharter.org or 716-222-0416. A pride of lions battles for survival in Kenya's Masai Mara Reserve. Watch Lion, the rise and fall of the Marsh Pride, tonight at 8 on WNED-PBS. Support for WBFO comes from Musical Fair Theater. The season kicks off with nice work if you can get it on stage through October 9th. More information at musicalfair.com. One, two, three, five! You know those dance moves you've been practicing? You know the ones. Well, they can make their debut with WBFO The Bridge at our first ever silent disco at our studios on October 1st. 
Whether you love hip-hop and R&B, throwback and top 40 hits, or especially WBFO The Bridge, there will be something for everyone. Join us for this COVID-cautious event with added accessibility features. For tickets and even more information, visit wned.org events. Support for The Silent Disco is provided by Project Best Life. Support for WBFO is provided by the Corning Museum of Glass. This fall, experience a symphony of fire and movement. From awe-inspiring exhibits to intense live glass demos, the show is always on. Learn more at cmog.org. Support for WBFO, your NPR station, comes from our members and Paul Smith's College, the College of the Adirondacks, offering degrees in management, natural sciences, hospitality, forestry, psychology, and more. Paul Smith's College Adirondack Watershed Institute is working to protect our lakes through science, stewardship, and community engagement. adkwatershed.org. Paul Smith's College. It's about the experience. More information at paulsmiths.edu. Support for WBFO is provided by Lynn Oaken Farms, growing apples since 1919. U-Pick season is underway at The Orchard on Ridge Road in Medina. More information on the web at lynoakenfarms.com. Support for WBFO comes from our members and from Metropolitan Entertainment, presenting comedian Bill Maher, coming to Buffalo Sunday evening, October 9th at Kleinhans Music Hall. Bill Maher, the noted political satirist, has his finger on the pulse of American politics, current events, and many dissectable topics. Tickets are available at KleinHandsBuffalo.com or by phone at 716-885-5000. Produced by Metropolitan Entertainment. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And this is Dave Debo. We are talking with Herb Bellamy, Jr. He, among other things, is an entrepreneur on the east side, but also runs Black Achievers, Inc., their 50th anniversary. In fact, during the break, he was uh, texting pictures to the printer for the program to this year's dinner. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But I, w- I wanted to get into something you, you, you said earlier in the program. This fascinates me. Okay. There is so much discussion about the food desert on the east side. Okay. And yet you mentioned that once upon a time, before Tops, even before Figmos, and we can go there and talk about that, once upon a time, your family ran a grocery store on the east side. And I think the conventional wisdom today is, other than tops, that can't happen. Talk to me about that era. Tell me a little bit about well, what, you, what you ran and what might have been different and what happened. Well, during that era, uh, most people shopped and did everything in their neighborhoods. And it was before the Tops and the Wegmans and things of that mm-hmm. nature. Uh, the name of the business was Clover Farm. It was like a, a franchisee type of okay. uh, name for the soup for the supermarket. So uh, you you supplied the community with 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 food and fresh vegetables and fruits and and um, and things of that nature. I, I think it was just a different time because there was so much commerce in, in the neighborhoods. There were so many homeowners and, and people working and, and a lot more money flowing during those times. What years was this? That was 
in the 60s and 70s. Okay. Yes, uh, yes, 60s and 70s. I, I've even on this program had discussions about figmos that came in, I think, the late 90s. Uh, Doug Goggins, finally I got my oh, own store, right. F-I-G-M-O-S, figmos. Love that name. Makes me laugh every time I say it. Um and I think one of the problems he had was by that time, uh, the independence had been passed by because of the Tops and the Wegmans and, no, not Aldi's yet, but Super Duper, Loblaws, Bells, all of that. Oh. You folks sound like Clover, Cloverdale Farms? Clo- it was Clover Farms. And Clover t- Farms, okay. I'll tell you, after Figmos, yeah? we brought the building and it was a supermarket called Rainbright. Oh, I which did not was know ran by a, a guy named Carl Mackin, who was a former yeah. employee of uh, manager of Tops. He was in charge of the Tops in the town gardens. At absolutely, one point. absolutely. So we brought the building. He he tried to do that, but one of the problems that he ran was buying power. You know, uh, you can't. It's like anything else, and this is of course before the internet and things of that nature. But the buying power, you can't. You know, you can't compete with the big guys with the uh, with the buying power as well. Yeah. Well, when, when the Walmart and Tops and Wegmans can buy thousands of an item and you can only buy a couple hundred, you you're can't. You're going to get a different price. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And and I think one of the problems that uh, Doug Goggins has talked about, there's a documentary actually online. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug Ruffin has produced it. We had Doug on the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the problems that I think Figmos had was not only that buying power, but the suppliers didn't want to work with the smaller independents. Right. By that point, their bread and butter were the bigger chains. Yes, yes. Mm. That's a true statement, yes. Why is there only one grocery store on the east side right now? That's a great question. And no one has the answer? Is that what you're saying? Nobody is challenging the answer. Okay. No one is putting up the answer. And that's the problem. Everybody wants to know. But what about all, all the other commerce that needs to be besides the supermarket? Why not embrace and say, we have a Tops. Let's roll with Tops and, right. and other businesses along Jefferson and make it a true uh, business corridor. You know, uh, people are always asking the question, why, why, why? If not now, then when? You know, and, and it's, it's to me, it's like, um, you know, what other questions? There's a lot of whys on the east side of Buffalo. I refuse to just let this one supermarket be the, the only why. Okay. It's just like, why isn't there many other businesses that yeah. come in there? Yeah. You know, Tops invested and said we're going to do and work this and, and did a tremendous job in doing it. And we still work with Tops, which is one of our corporate sponsors. But the challenge is why is it why is this neighborhood like this? Why where are the jobs? Why are people where they are? You know? And, and, and <laughs> the the answer that always comes up on this program, and if you don't want to go there, I'm I'm not pushing you, but it comes down to race, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, all of this comes to race. All all of this was done design this was designed. So if maybe that's the answer you want, it was designed not to, to succeed. It was designed to keep us divided. There's a reason why uh, it's divided in Buffalo where people think. I, even me, I go to other parts of the city and say, why are you over here? I'm like, I'm shopping. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you're only supposed to be on this side of town? Right, right. You know, it's, you know. You so. can't cross Main Street. How dare you, sir? Yeah, it's, it's, wow. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mindset. 
And I look at the glass half full and not half empty. And I embrace the ones who I think People Inc. did a tremendous job. The Resource Council is doing some things. There's so many others. Uh, there's the cleaners there. There's, there's, there's people who are trying, but they don't have the necessary resources all the time to do what they want. You know, and so we have to teach people how to fish and keep fishing right. and not keep, you know, giving them a fish. And and <laughs> I imagine you also have to kind of change the mindset a little bit. Maybe this is where the black achievers come in. Um, you buck back against the thought that there's no fish in this pond. Yeah. You you kind of you have to educate people that it's worth tossing your line in that in that water. Yeah. We have to have those hard conversations. You know, when I talk to my sponsors and things, no, we need this. We need to showcase what you're doing and, and show there are capabilities for for the young. And uh, 50 years, just think, my father started this, called it black, called it what it is, called it Black Achievers. And he's yeah. skirt around it, color, black Americans, African Americans. It was black achievers. Yeah, right so, there. And it's still black achievers, and we're and and people have been embracing us, and so many. Uh, even during these times where we had to pivot, um, so many black achievers, former achievers. I almost have like a fraternity that I can work with, with uh, whatever I want at this at this stage in the game, because so many uh, black achievers are in so many different industries. All right. Over the 50 years, how many have you had? I believe it's probably about 2,500, I think. Yeah, probably roughly about 2,500. Wow. Yeah. And uh, typical classes, how many? Typical classes used to be between 20 and 30. Lately, we've been having 40 to 50. This year, we have 50 celebrating 50 years. Okay. I stop it most of the time. I can generally have more than 50 or more than 40 if people come too late. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. I had to turn down a few this year because uh, it just didn't make it in time when we have deadlines as well. And I wanted to keep it at 50 achievers mm -hmm. so everybody could be recognized properly. Sure. I mean, sense. we have a whole extravaganza. We had the red carpet ceremony. We have dinner. We have uh, celebrities come and as well and, and singing and dancing. And, and it's, it's a real fun night and it's a celebration of night. And it, and it makes people feel good at the end of the day. And, and, and so, many, so many relationships are built afterwards because of that. One of my favorite questions on this program, and I ask it of almost every single guest. Okay. What does the community need right now? The, and you can answer that in any variety of ways. If, if people are still hurting, we can talk about that. Or if there's just a bigger, broader community need that you think has to be addressed, we can go there too. Well, I, I still say jobs. I, I, I kind of go along with my father. You, you give a person a job, you solve 90% mm -hmm. of their, their problem. And so many companies, whether they, whether they admit it or not, still do not want to hire black people. And that's just that's just what it is. And and so many companies do hire black people. So and, if a large, and I don't want to just say manufacturing, but they're the ones that usually have big employment bases. If a large manufacturing company wanted to set up somewhere along the east side, maybe in the old uh, American Axle, Delavan, Chevy, Saginaw plant, um, would that be not the panacea, not the silver bullet, but that would be a good step? Well, it would be a great step. You know, uh, 1490 Jefferson, where Black Achievers housed now, was an abandoned liquor warehouse. Mm. 
It was a liquor warehouse where it, it hired a lot of people. There, there are so many companies that was on it. There was Kaufman's, there was Pepsi, there was Coca-Cola. There were so many different companies that hired people right in their neighborhood. Kaufman's the jolly little baker, and you'll find That's them right. on the label. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're old enough to remember that. Oh, yeah. They had great pastries I, and cupcakes, too. I, I, I think <laughs> that jingle lives in people's brain. <laughs> I have just given you an ear uh, worm, and I, uh, I'm sorry about that, folks. No. Uh, but you're but, right. There were, and that was not necessarily a retail establishment. Yes, it had that component. Right. But as a large bakery that served people across the entire region, it had an employment base. Yeah, you're okay. talking hundreds of people that had jobs, and and uh, we and it's, it's 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 sometimes hurtful to think that in 2022 I'm still talking about the same issues that I had as a child. What happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, what, why did, and I don't want to pick on Kaufman's, but let's use them as the generic example. Why did they leave? Why are these businesses no longer there? Did they just generally fold or did they say, sorry, East Side, we don't want to be specifically involved with the East Side. And by that, yeah, it's a code word, I, I'll admit. Uh, we don't want to be in the black neighborhood. That I can't answer because I was much too young. Okay. I just remember some of them, and I can't intelligently answer, answer that question, but um, but it's, it's still needed. And, and there is no silver bullet right. at all to solve the problems of black Americans in, in this country or in this city. But we can begin to start talking and healing and having those conversations to make a difference in our community. And Black Achievers is an example that makes a difference. There are so many people that still don't know about Black Achievers, and sure. we've been existing for 50 years. You have and your... probably the largest, we are the largest awards dinner in Buffalo. I mean, we, we have over 1,000 people at our dinners. You have your annual event coming up when? October 7th at the Buffalo Convention Center. You can visit our website, buffaloblackachievers.org. October 7th, Friday night. We are going to have a tremendous celebration of 50 years. We are also honoring TOPS and their commitment in our community. They are our corporate sponsor of the year. We're honoring Trini Ross, who is the U.S. attorney mm -hmm. here in the district. She's getting the And from judge. that neighborhood. Yes, and she from grew up there. She right. grew up in the neighborhood. So many people grew up in the neighborhood. Uh, so many judges, as I speak of, well, Judge Sam Green, she's getting a Judge Samuel Green uh, Trailblazer Award. But, you know, some of the judges, like Judge Carter, Judge Ogden, Judge Troutman, look at them where they are now. But 20, 30 years ago, hmm. they were a black achiever. Okay. This has such effect on our community for them to elevate in their careers and so many other people that elevate because of uh, this platform. And uh, you, you can't be what you can't see, you know. So now people uh, are, are, say that are again. Really, you can't be what you can't see, you know. So if I can see that I can be a Supreme Court justice, I can be an administrative judge, I can be a CEO, I can be... Uh, CEO of United Way, Trina, um, Trina Burris. I just saw that she yeah. elevated. She's a former black achiever. There are so many former black achievers who are where they are now, but we recognize them even before they got there. And we're going to continue to celebrate them as I'm even just 
talking about just a brief sum now. You know, Mayor Byron uh, Byron Brown was a black achiever long before he mm. was even a councilman. Sure. You know, so uh, recognizing the talents and, and, and showcasing and, and, and pivoting and elevating is, 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 is a great process. But Black Achievers, October 7th, be there at All the right. convention center. We're going to have a party like never before. We have about five minutes left, and um, this program would not be what it is, and we wouldn't probably be talking about these issues were it not for the massacre on May 14th. So I want to just spend, before we go, a little bit of time talking about your day on May 14th, your reaction to it. Where were you when you heard? I was home. I was home. My wife came in and told me. I I didn't believe it at the time, but <laughs> eventually I found out that um, this this happened, and it was, uh, it was it was just horrific. Did you know any victims? Oh yes, yes, yes. Who I, who in the community couldn't know victims, right? But yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 the tough part for me on Saturday. When it happened, I didn't know if, you know, we have like 100 tenants. My tenants shop there all the time, right uh, up the street. I'm sure. two blocks away from yeah, Tops. Yeah. So I was like worried who could have been, what happened, you know, and it's mm. just because I know so many people that go there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it, it was it was awful. It was it, 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 it was something that I'll never forget. The alleged shooter was, according to a lot of accounts, radicalized. What kind of conversation does the nation need to have to prevent that sort of person from coming forward and saying, hey, I'm going to drive to Buffalo and shoot black people? America has never dealt with racism. Until America truly want to and really deal with racism, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem. We're still dealing with... I'm still dealing with, and a lot of people are, racism from and years ago. And slavery is supposed to ended at two, 200 years ago. You're so, an achiever. You're someone who's done a lot in the community. You're, you're a recognized name. How often have you encountered racism? Once a week? Once every day? How, uh, microaggressions come at you. How often? I don't know how often, but I get it. Okay. And and it reminds me never to forget because, but, you know, I know who I am and what I'm going to do. And most of the time it doesn't get to me. Mm. Sometimes it does, but it's a reality. And it's, it's and what's unfortunate is for those people who cannot handle it is is, is very unfortunate because they're, they're faced with it every day. And those people, it's all going to come full circle. I hear it already. Those people need perhaps to know about black achievers. Absolutely. Absolutely. For you, that's what it's about? That's what it's about. Black Achievers. My vision and mission is to continue to do what we're doing because I see the differences making in Buffalo. I see the people that is affected and how they elevated to where they are now. And if it wasn't for this type of platform to showcase uh, black Americans in a different light, because so many people see black Americans totally different, you know, but... This is a chance for them to see, no, you know, they, they, black Americans are doing well in different fields, providing you give them the opportunity. What needs to happen in order for um, the guy from Orchard Park, the white guy like me, mm -hmm. to end up spending more time 
on the east side. How do we get rid of that segregation barrier? Well, we can we can begin to start and not try to think one thing is the end of all. Have a conversation. Refer somebody. Go to breakfast with, with a black guy. Go go to lunch with a black Go to church. <laughs> the most segregated hour. Amen. We all love God. Yeah. And you go to church, it's all white and it's all black. Yeah. Go. America is no, and I can't remember who said it, but America is no more segregated yeah. than it mo- was than it is on a Sunday morning. Yeah. So you know, go some. You know, part of this region and part of the problem is we don't work together, we don't go to school together, we don't go to church together. We just don't know each other. But if you really sit down and talk to them, you're like, oh, yeah, I want better education for my kids. I want a better job for my kids. We, we want the same things but have different ways of getting to it. And, and, it, and in the black community, sometimes we just don't have the networking where in the majority community will to be able to, you know, keep elevating. All right, Herb, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Herbert Bellamy, Jr., 1490 Enterprises and the Black Achievers uh, Dinner coming up on October 7th. It's no longer Black Ach- uh, 1490 Enterprise. It's just, oh. it's just Black Achievers, Inc. All right, very yeah, good. Yeah. But it's located at least at 1490's Everton. Yes, we got that. Yes, yes, All right. Yes. Coming up next, uh, earlier in the program, you heard Herb say that uh, he remembers walking along Humboldt Avenue before the 33 came in. That's a jumping-off point for our next discussion. We're, we're changing a little bit of the players. Coming up in earlier conversation with community elder Cliff Bell about the 33 and about Humboldt. Much more to come. Stay with us. It's Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Support for WBFO comes from the Irish Classical Theatre Company. Doubt, a parable, delves into the murky waters of provocation and moral uncertainty. On stage now through October 9th at the Andrews Theatre. For tickets, visit irishclassical.com. You know those dance moves you've been practicing? You know the ones. Well, they can make their debut with WBFO The Bridge at our first ever silent disco at our studios on October 1st. Whether you love hip-hop and R&B, throwback and top 40 hits, or especially WBFO The Bridge, there will be something for everyone. Join us for this COVID-cautious event with added accessibility features. For tickets and even more information, visit wned.org slash events. Support for The Silent Disco is provided by Project Best Life. Support for WBFO, your NPR station, comes from our members and from Buffalo Commons Charter School. Now enrolling K and first grade students for the 2022-23 school year. Buffalo Commons Charter School is a place where kids can engage with a rigorous project-based curriculum, develop strong relationships with diverse classmates, and discover a sense of purpose. Details and information at buffalocommonscharter.org or 716-222-0416. A pride of lions battles for survival in Kenya's Masai Mara Reserve. Watch Lion, the rise and fall of the marsh pride, tonight at 8 on WNED-PBS. Support for WBFO, your NPR station, comes from our members and Paul Smith's College, the College of the Adirondacks, offering degrees in management, natural sciences, hospitality, forestry, psychology, and more. Paul Smith's College Adirondack Watershed Institute is working to protect our lakes through science, stewardship, and community engagement. ADKWatershed.org. Paul Smith's College. It's about the experience. More information at paulsmiths.edu. Support for WBFO comes from Project Best Life, empowering people to take control of their lives and take tangible steps to be their healthiest and happiest selves. For help starting or restarting your wellness journey, visit projectbestlife.org.
Support for WBFO comes from Odoo, a suite of user-friendly business applications designed to automate, streamline, and simplify every aspect of your business. More information at odoo.com WBFO. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And joining us now on Buffalo What's Next, longtime Buffalo resident, former Buffalo Council member, and local historian Cliff Bell. Thanks for joining us, Cliff. My pleasure to be with you. Uh, thank you very much, and we're looking forward to your perspective here on, on a couple of issues, but I want to talk a, a little bit about the Kensington Expressway. I know you were among those attending that session by the DOT, taking a look at some of these concepts. Uh, you also know that neighborhood so very well, don't you? Uh, let, let's talk about your experience in the neighborhood that was initially interrupted or intercepted by the construction of the Kensington Expressway. When I first moved into this neighborhood, was about 1957. And I've been living here ever since. I live on a sector near Sisters Hospital. And when I first moved in there, you could get access to my home by just coming up to Fillmore, going over uh, Northland, right up to my back door. And when they built 198 West as a part of the expressway, they cut off my back uh, door and made my street a cul-de-sac. Now when you come to see me, you can go see me, go turn around to the street and go on back out of there. So it's a so it's a considerable uh, change in the way things are in that neighborhood. Uh, how did it change the neighborhood once that was built? You see, the neighborhood heretofore was flexible in that it had access to the other side of Humboldt Parkway, which also gave it access to Jefferson Avenue. And all those streets were cross streets, and the one that I live near was Oak Grove, and Oak Grove went right across uh, Humboldt into the other sides where Headley and the other streets are behind Canisius uh, College. And, uh, and, of course, that's where we went back and forth. In fact, I used to take my kids when we had a delicatessen across on the other side of Humboldt over there to get ice cream, and even on a sled. And you could go right across because there was a cross street heretofore. And when the expressway was built, they, only, they disconnected all those side streets and left only East Ferry and uh, East Utica as major cross fairs. And it's completely disrupted the whole community. There's just we got used to going back and forth across Humboldt to the other side toward Jefferson. Appreciate appreciate your perspective here because you have something that most people don't. You were there when the Kensington was constructed. Was there a thought initially that it was for the for the best? Absolutely. There was no and let me tell you something, plans that were being made for this expressway without the knowledge of people that lived in the in the inner city community. I had a brother that bought a home on Humboldt, and about a year and a half after he bought his home, they come out and were doing kind of some kind of topographical studies telling him, you're going to lose three feet of your front of your lawn because we're going to build an expressway through here. They said, express what? Because when I first moved into my house, the median that ran from the Science Museum all the way to Delaware Park was a solid area that designed by Frederick Law Olmsted to be a continuation of his park design from Humboldt Park, which is now Martin Luther King Park, all the way to Delaware Park and the zoo. 
And it sounded like, and I think you've kind of expressed this, you've described, you know, actually using a sled to, to get across and go down the street, but it sounds like it was a very walkable community and you could get back and forth to various parts of the, of the neighborhoods around Buffalo. Which was very important because, you know, there were a limited number of automobiles then, and uh, and there was a pretty decent transportation called Big Red then, which now is NFTA. It was it was just an old the old buses, but but they ran with some frequency. And people lived in community situations then, and uh, the communities were pretty solid. Uh, it's just that this was a complete disruption. And see, no one had any knowledge of this coming, but but the people that were pre warned in advance that. They were going to be building this expressway. If they wanted to sell their homes, they better be thinking about doing it now. So um, numbers of African-Americans bought those homes on Humboldt Parkway, completely unaware there was going to be an expressway. Had no knowledge whatsoever. No pre-warning, no pre-advanced information. Well, is it encouraging then to see finally, after what, we're looking at, what, 60-plus years, yeah. uh, that there is, now it's the same not the exact same people, but state officials, DOT officials, are now looking to make good on that mistake. Uh, is it somewhat encouraging that it seems like they're listening to residents now? It's always encouraging. Advancement is something I never got in front of, in the way of, rather. And sure, it's encouraging, and it, it's a great to go. I went over to the Science Museum. I looked at all those posters and all that they had of the uh, adjoining communities, and I'm familiar with all those streets because I was a council member at large for 12 years. So I not only was particularly familiar with the messengers where I've lived uh, most of my life, but I was familiar with the whole city and how things were going in other sectors of the city as compared to how things were going within the inner city. And it was a complete difference in the experience of either one and uh, what was needed and what wasn't getting done or what was getting done. So the expressway was a disruption. And sure, I think everything you ought to do to, to try, it, it can never be reconnected, first of all. Let's, let's, get, let's be clear. Right. The only way this is going to be a real win for everybody is if the surrounding communities get an opportunity for economic development, uh, job, job opportunity, educational uh, direction, trade experience. It, it's more than just covering the expressway. So what? And who's going to go and do what over there on top of the expressway now? A picnic? Where are you going to go? We're always concerned about the environment, too, and we know that there's some preparations being made to, to kind of encompass all that flow streams from the automobiles and all. But I've just seen just enough to tell me that there's something being planned to do. I really didn't leave the, the meeting with anything I could share with you about its, its plan, its purpose, or its goals and objectives. Uh, I'm not there yet. Hey, Cliff, I want to just jump back because you brought it up and, and it's relevant to a story that's developing right now in Buffalo, and that is uh, the... Uh, reapportionment of the of the common council and I, you mentioned how you were an at large member of the of the council and we heard somebody earlier this week basically saying they were against the idea of eliminating those at large positions as you see it right now what was the value of having an at large council member it was 
probably one of the most valuable positions simply because we didn't have to cater in particular to anybody. When I was elected at large, I represented the total city of Buffalo. I went throughout the whole city of Buffalo and addressed people and talked with people about their concerns about their particular communities. And I also tried to get my my fellow council people to prioritize development within the city. Let's do let's do a district at a time, and, and within a nine-year period, we'll have did considerable things to advance a particular district instead of splitting this thing up and dividing it and who gets this and who gets what. And it's, it's always, it seems to be a need to do those things to please the people that vote for you so that you can get reelected. That wasn't, that didn't bother me from the beginning. Back to your thoughts about the, the possible covering of the Kensington. You seem uh, skeptical about the idea. Let's say I'm going to wait and see. Yes, oh, of course I'm skeptical. Anytime you do something that actually was a mistake when it was done from the beginning, do it the way it was done, and uh, it, there was no advantage to it except to get people out of town quicker and get them to the airport quicker. That was one of the original goals. But that that street now there's thousands of cars that go over the expressway. Nobody nobody stops in the black community to do any business at all. So it hasn't been an advantage from that point of view. There's a lot of services that because they put all these big uh, outlying communities with multiple stores and all that, that people find it's more convenient to go with this opportunity. But still within the black communities, now still a lot of the services that are not available or not readily available. There's still not a whole lot of finance being circulated within the black community. There's still a lot of development that needs to be done on Jefferson, on Fillmore, parts of Main Street. So, you know, the job is still undone. There's challenges are there. God bless the governor and everybody else that's thinking about doing these things because they think it's creative and it kind of makes up for something that was done, but it has to be done carefully. And, you know, Brother Bell is not chicken anymore. I'm on, I'll be 93 this year, but yeah, I'm still active enough mentally and physically to want to see something done that's going to be beneficial to the total community and not just make uh, Expressway a little more attractive or a little more acceptable to who? The, the people that when this was done, like me, there's not many people left around that were moved or directly affected by that when it was first done. So people have become gotten in a habit of living with this now for the last 50 or 60 years. Now, all of a sudden, after living with this and, and trying to find our way back and forth, and, and someone says, we're going to reconnect that community. I'm going to tell you something. It's, it's, going to be, it's going to be almost impossible, as far as I can see it. And uh, most certainly with those 93 years of experience, you have uh, something on, on most of us in that regard, and you sound like you're, you're, you're pretty much uh, thinking, uh, thinking day-to-day about what's happening in the city of Buffalo. So let's maybe move just for a second beyond the Kensington. What could be what could be really impactful for uh, the the neighborhoods of the east side of Buffalo? Well, some some interesting ideas about how they can be built up so that it can be self sustaining. It's, it's difficult for a community if over half of the things that you need to get to or get done or get access to are not local are not available to you within walking distance. The importance of the the store, top store where, where this terrible incident took place, it, it was in a locale, 
it was convenient to offer the same or almost similar services as the other top stores throughout other communities. Not as big, not as well stocked and all at the time as others because the felt was, well, it's not that much demand. We'll, we'll put a market over there. It'll be okay, and the people will go there and shop. True. We could use another one, but we also could use some opportunities for employment, for development of businesses, which means we need it's a lot of help just needed in education and opportunity that still, to me, is a little bit lacking. And then finally, Cliff, um, these conversations that we've been having here on WBFO on Buffalo What's Next, all coming out of that May 14th uh, tragedy at uh, the Tops on Jefferson. Um, I'm just curious, uh, with your experience, do you sense the attention that has developed since then, that there's hope for that community, that there's hope that things are going to change for the better? I sense there's a little hope for the ability to communicate. See, one of the biggest problems we've always had in America, and it's not any different in Buffalo, is we have never communicated or had a conversation around slavery. And I don't care where you go or what you do, there's always an indirect relationship between what's been done today and what's been getting done for years. You know, Martin Luther King said all men are caught in a network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny. And that whatever affects any one of us directly affects all of us indirectly. And he went to say that nobody can be what they want to be until they're given the opportunity to be that person. And... That's been repeatedly said, but it hasn't been used as a mentor for further development. Now, all the attention to all these beautiful people who, whose lives were sacrificed meaningless behind some hatred little mixed-up child who's not only out there singularly, he represents all millions of people today that have a similar feeling but wouldn't do the same thing that he did. And until people come to the place that we're all human beings, whether your color is black, green, or blue, we just can't get past black. It seems to be a hang-up that America can just not feel like they can escape. And that's been troublesome to me since I was born. Listen, I was born here in 1929 in Buffalo in the front bedroom of 75 Monroe Street by a midwife, the sixth boy in my family to be born by a midwife. So I've been around. My father's the deacon of the church. I've been, I'm a deacon of the church now. And I've always had a great relationship with people. That's because I extend myself. And I'm curious about what you feel and how you feel about a relationship. That's important to me. I'm working now, finally, with the Olmstead Conservancy. I'm the chairman of the Buffalo African American Museum Committee. And we've developed a partnership where we're trying to make Martin Luther King Park and all of its assets a tourist destination. When we get through with the lighting and the signage and the, the apps and all, that place is going to be some. When they come to Buffalo, they're going to want to go to Martin Luther King Park because it's got such great value, historically, physically, mentally. Well, Cliff Bell, we're going to use that as our final word on our segment of Buffalo, What's Next? And I, I do thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Listen, I'm always available with someone that's interested in talking about Buffalo's future. I got a few years left. I'm going to spend them as wise as I can. That is Cliff Bell, elder here in Buffalo, former council member, 93 years old, a 
conversation we had uh, earlier on Buffalo What's Next and uh, used it to fill in. And I think it was a conversation that most certainly was worth having earlier. Dave Debo talked with Herb Bellamy Jr. This is Buffalo What's Next. We'll be back here at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning on your NPR station in Western New York. We're member-supported. WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo. WOLN only again. And WUBJ Jamestown.